Our reading this morning is from 1 Chronicles 29, 10 through 13. Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly, and David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and majesty, for all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning. Hey, you, you actually responded. That's nice. Um, sometimes I don't know if you will. I want to say uh, something before I, I preach. Thank you. Thank you for being here. I want to thank you for singing. Man, do I love to hear you sing. When you sing what we just sang, How Great Is Our God, then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee, how great thou art. You remind me of what is true. I can sing that song all by myself, and somehow it doesn't have the wave and the power of the meaning and the truth until I sing it with you. So thank you. You remind me of what is true. And thank you for being here because when we gather together, you renew my faith. You renew my faith in God. You renew my faith in people. And you restore my hope about things to come. So thank you for being here. We start a new series today that we're entitling Grace and Truth. As a matter of fact, grace and truth, um, not unlike some other concepts, have become what you might consider contrasting themes. And we're going to do our best over the next five weeks to synthesize the notion of grace and truth. You know what I mean by contrasting themes. Sort of like opposites, sort of like, not at least the same, different. Um, for instance, here, here's an example. Let's see if this thing works. Oh, look, it's working. Black and white. Different, right? Contrast. Or how about hot and cold? You get that one? It's either hot or it's cold. You say, no, it could be lukewarm. But if we're talking hot, we're talking cold, we know what we're talking about. We're talking about a contrast. How about good and evil? That's a contrast. There are other contrasts in the world. I mean, notice that followed good and evil. We're connecting the dots. No, I'm not. 
Not really. Or how about this one, saint and sinner? Now, if, if I had enough time to go through multiple contrasts, you know what I would do? I would start right about there making a distinction that got closer. Why? Saint and sinner. Yeah, it's a contrast, but, right? We're sinners saved by grace, so there's nuance. There's, but it's a contrast. Or how about the one we're talking about? Grace and truth. Well, the reason it seems like a contrast, and there seems to be a bit of a contrast there, is because we've kind of categorized them too specifically. Right? Over time, especially sort of popular culture, has come to believe truth to be, well, just kind of harsh, straight up, unyielding, tough. It is what it is. It's the truth, right? And by contrast, grace seems to be well forgiving and kind and kind of squishy. You see the contrast, right? Well, one of the ways in which that contrast was brought together was at the beginning of John's Gospel, John chapter 1. Next week, Dan is going to preach the next part of this series. This one's called Grace and Truth, the Sovereign Lord. Next week is going to be Grace and Truth, a Personal Savior. And in John chapter 1, John, the one writing the revelation of God, says, Law came through Moses. Can you repeat it for me? But grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. John brings them together in the person of Jesus Christ. And we want to bring them together as we think about this theme. But this morning, I want to talk about grace and truth, a sovereign Lord. So there's really only two questions in this sermon, but I'm going to give the first one without giving you the second. The first question is this. What is a sovereign Lord? The definition. What is a sovereign Lord? Remember, it was King David who wrote the passage we just read. King David who knew what it was to be a king and a lord over Israel. King David who knew what it was to have authority and power even over warring nations. King David who knew what it was to be at the top, so to speak. King David wrote the words that we read about God. And King David said, Lord, yours is the kingdom. King David said, you are exalted over all things. What was King David saying when he uttered that prayer? He was saying, in effect, Sovereign Lord, you are 
the absolute, absolute ruler. When our country was founded, we were founded on a proposition that was quite opposite of that. John Adams, our second president, is well known for a phrase, we have no sovereign here. It was a contrast to kingship in England and other places. As a matter of fact, it was even emblazoned on a, a, like a plaque at a port of entry in Boston for a while. So when immigrants from other nations arrived, frequently leaving a king behind, they would see this sign, we have no sovereign here. The beginning of our nation was a rejection of sovereignty, a rejection of absolute ruler. By the way, what most people don't know, because they don't read the rest of it, is John Adams actually said we have no sovereign here other than Jesus Christ. But that's another matter. He wasn't making a theological statement. He was making a political statement. However, when politics becomes so part of our ethos, it changes the way we think about things, doesn't it? We transfer a political notion into other notions. And so it's easy for us to allow the notion of no sovereign to bleed over into God especially as Americans. And that is a mistake. God is sovereign. God is the absolute ruler. Let me put it in really bold language, which will seem like hard truth. God sets the rules completely without consulting us. No consultation. God's got no parliament. He's got no Congress. And we don't elect Him. God decides and God commands. That's what it means to be an absolute ruler. You know why it's hard for us, right? It's hard for us because when our ruler or rulers don't do what we like, we vote them out of office. We like to say, my, we're pietistic. We like to say we vote them out of office because they're not doing the right things. They're not advancing the causes of justice or whatever your definition of the right way is. That's what we say. But you know what, folks? Honestly, come on. Will you, will you give me a little space here on this one? We vote people out of office because we don't like the fact that they don't like the same things that we like. We vote them out of office because they don't give us what we want. And we put them in office to give us what we want and to like what we like. And if they don't, we might even vote our guy out of office. I say that by way of contrast. 
God doesn't care about your vote. He's not running for election. There's no way that God can be thrown out of office. Impeachment is not a part of the divine process. God is absolute ruler. You know how um, our improper thinking sometimes seeps in to our thinking about God? Um, Have you ever heard the phrase this, I'm mad at God? Yeah? Or no, let's be honest. Have you ever said, I'm mad at God right now? If you're really pietistic, you're probably saying, no, I've never said that, but you've thought it, right? It's interesting to me when we use that phrase because, honestly, I think we use the phrase kind of like this, kind of like a whiny child saying to their parents, I'm mad at you, and when I'm mad at you, I'm going to make your life miserable, and I'm mad at you, and I'll be mad at you long enough that I can manipulate you, and you'll change the rules. You see the contrast. God doesn't lose any sleep when you're mad at him. It doesn't hurt him a bit. His feelings are not hurt, and it does not influence his decision. You can be mad, and the psalmist was many times, but know full well, you're mad at the sovereign Lord. So what is the sovereign Lord? He's an absolute ruler. What is a sovereign Lord? A sovereign Lord is the one who is in complete, total control over everything. Listen to these words in Isaiah. Speaking of the grandeur of the earth and then later the universe. He says... Who has measured the waters in the hollow of his hand? My gosh, I can't even hold water in the hollow of my hand. It seeps out. Who has measured the waters, all of them, in the hollow of his hand? Or with the breadth of his hand? Mark off the heavens. Look over there. Look over there. Or is who has held the dust of the earth in a little basket? Or weighed the mountains on a scale? Are you kidding me? Or the hills in a balance? Who has done that? These words later in Isaiah. This is what the Lord God says. He who created the heavens and stretch them out. Who spread out the earth and all that comes out of it. Complete control. Listen, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. A sovereign Lord is one who is in complete control of Everything. I'm not a scientist. 
I don't know what I would be like as a scientist, but especially if I studied astronomy, I hope I would be like this. I hope that the more I learned, the more I would stand in awe of God. Because if I'm a Christian and I believe in the sovereignty of God, what I believe is that He is over all things. What I do not understand is how. But what I believe is that He's over all things. And the expanding galaxies, which are trillions and trillions of light years away, are in the palm of His hand. He's completely in control. Just a couple of factoids. You know, we're good for those. Our galaxy, which really isn't that magnificent compared to others, smaller than many, we estimate how there's about 20 billion stars in it. You know how it's easy for me to understand that or I can understand it better? Instead of using the word stars, I like to say suns. 20 billion suns? Ours is not a big one, by the way. The span of a typical galaxy is 600 trillion miles wide. One galaxy. The distance between galaxies, and we can't even measure how many there are, is 20 million trillion miles. The closest galaxy to us is 2.5 million light years away. God. The universe. Right there. That's the image all over the Bible. In complete, absolute control. To understand what the sovereign Lord is, is to remember He's absolute ruler, to remember He's in complete control. And we need to remind ourselves that an absolute sovereign is a final judge. There's no trial by jury. There's no appeals court. There's no Supreme Court. There's God. He's the final judge in this life. Maybe you don't believe there's a difference between right and wrong. Really, it makes no difference. God said there is. And you'll be judged accordingly. And furthermore, there's going to be a final judgment. I'm glad I don't know the details of the final judgment. I can't quite figure it out. All I know is that there's going to be a final judgment. God is in charge, and He is going to judge all wickedness and bring it to a screeching halt. That's what it means to have a sovereign Lord. He's absolute ruler. He's in complete control. He's the final judge. And I could just keep going on, right? But I'll just do one more. He's eternal. 
Every time you try to figure it out, it blows your mind. From all eternity, says David in his prayer. The Psalms say it over and over again. You know what it means to be eternal? It means to know the beginning from the end. Nothing catches God off guard. He already knows it's going to happen as if it already has happened. He knows the beginning and He knows the end of all things. He knows the beginning and the end. That in itself is stunning, that you could know the beginning and the end. But that's not all, folks. He doesn't just say, I know as a free agent who has more intelligence than you, the beginning and the end. He says, I am the beginning and the end. Now, before you rush to a conclusion that that means God is somehow contained by finite time and space, that's not what's being said there. He's not saying, I started at the beginning and I will end at the end. He says, I am the beginning and the end. In other words, the beginning and the end has meaning in light of my eternality. You can't have a beginning and an end without eternity, says God. I am eternity. I'm the eternal one. If you want a headache, just think about that for the rest of the day. If you want to worship, think about that for the rest of your life. That is just part of what it means to be the sovereign Lord. So my first question was, what is a sovereign Lord? My second question, who is our sovereign Lord? He's all those things. But he's also a faithful friend. It's as close and closer than a brother. The God with all those attributes has promised to never leave you or forsake you. The God with all that grandeur has promised to take every step that you take and be your traveling companion. Who is our sovereign Lord? He's our closest friend. Who else is our sovereign Lord? He's a suffering servant. See, if you're a sovereign, everybody knows it's your responsibility to protect your subjects, to serve your subjects. But God is sovereign, Lord, took it a step, an eternal step further, and he became the suffering Savior. Let me read something you've heard before, but Maybe even close your eyes and hear it again. These are words about God. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken, 
by God and smitten by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. The punishment that was brought on him brought us peace. And by his wounds or his stripes, we are healed. That is God in the person of Jesus Christ. That is our king not solving the problem. But my friends, becoming the problem. God made him who never experienced did not know sin to become sin for us. He solved the problem by becoming the problem and defeating sin and death. God's uh, all those wonderful attributes and a faithful friend and a suffering Savior And one more thing, God is our loving Heavenly Father. Jesus described God that way more than any other way. You remember his multiple descriptions of God, his Heavenly Father and ours, and you remember the Lord's Prayer. And you may remember that Jesus said, you shouldn't worry about anything. Why? And I insert this. The absolute ruler, the one who's completely in control, the one who's the final judge, the one who is eternal, that person, God, your Father, knows your needs before you even ask them. And, as a matter of fact, he even knows your ignorance in asking them. He knows when you ask whether or not it's good for you. This God has our best interest in mind. Our loving Heavenly Father. This sovereign Lord, our sovereign Lord, He disciplines us when we need it. Like a good Heavenly Father does. It comes from Hebrews and other places. And this, this sovereign Lord, with all those grand attributes, this sovereign Lord, well, you can actually enter his presence. You recognize that image, right? Put your politics aside if you have a problem with it. That's President John F. Kennedy. The most powerful man in the world. That's President John F. Kennedy who confronted the Cuban Missile Crisis 90 miles away from my home when I was a baby. 
That's President John F. Kennedy who had the ability to push the button. And that's his son. We used to call him John John. He's in the presence of the most powerful man in the world. And he's not afraid. He's with his father. Here's another picture of the same. Little boy under the desk. Look at the president. He's, he's pointing. He's saying something. And I, I would imagine it's something like a directive. And his son just sitting on the floor looking up from underneath the desk. I like that one the best. The son who, at the end of it all, just runs into the arms of his father. Yeah, he's the president. The most powerful man on earth. But that's my father. Once I understand who my sovereign king is, Then I realize that the idea of a sovereign Lord is full of both grace and truth. And I fall down in worship. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we, we thank you you've given us the opportunity to address you that way. We thank you, Lord, that you're the absolute ruler of the universe. We thank you you're completely in control. That you're the final judge and that you're eternal, Lord. When we think of those attributes, it could terrify us and we should fear you. But because we move beyond attributes in the scriptures and we find out not what you are but who you are, those things give us great comfort. Absolute ruler. One who completely controls. One who's the final judge and one who's eternal. And we thank you, Almighty God, who revealed yourself in Jesus Christ, full of grace and truth. We thank you that you're our faithful friend. We thank you that you became our suffering servant and took the sin that would destroy us upon yourself. And we thank you that you are loving, Heavenly Father. May we rest under the sovereignty of your care and experience both grace and truth. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen.